I've realized it's very difficult to get your life in order. And the big disruption for me was back in February. I got sick. I was in the hospital for basically the entire month of February. February, well, I was there for about 30, 40 days, uh, the last two, three weeks of February and the first couple of weeks of March. And then when I got out of February, there was some rehabilitation at home. The first thing to get myself back in order was to basically walk as much as possible so I could walk as much as I did before, like walk to the station, walk home from the station, walk around at work, or do just the normal amount of walking. And I knew that was a lot. My phone had a pedometer on it. And then the next part was to actually get my work life in order. Uh, I meant to just go back to work and actually start trying to get you know myself capable of going through whole days of work, which was surprisingly exhausting. And then it was the podcast, Ninja News Japan. It was very easy to keep going because all I have to do is continue to follow the news and talk about the actual news items, uh, editorialize, give my opinion, that kind of stuff. That's actually very easy to keep up with. And I realized like a lot of shows I listen to content-wise, the ones that are easiest to produce are the ones where you just get content from somewhere else. My Brother, My Brother and Me, an advice show, uh, they take listener questions, but you don't get a huge amount of re- uh, in, like input or content from listeners at first. So they were doing Yahoo Answers. Yahoo Answers recently shut down. So that would be like your main content source shutting down. And uh, I actually copied, I actually took from their format and I was doing core questions when I was running uh, low on material. But that leads, so Ninja News Japan was easy to keep going. Chunk McBeef Chess format-wise isn't so bad because it's one episode is C. McBee Reads. And C. McBee Reads, I just have to find content to read that's interesting and editorialized, just like Ninja News Japan, to be honest. Uh, It's just not news. And the other week is some kind of uh, nerd topic that I can do relatively in-depth. Again, I'm trying to keep my podcast all around the 20 to 30-minute mark. Uh, C. McBee might go a little long, might go 40 minutes, 50 minutes, something like that. Uh, But since I've actually planned out just a single topic, and again, I'm just really just giving my opinion, once I've made a list of X amount of topics, that will take me through several months. Podcast actually is the hardest one to do because I haven't had any thoughts or ideas, if I'm being honest. Uh, Getting your life in order means just organizing things, doing things, and it's all very mundane. And it doesn't leave you a lot of time for uh, actual thought uh, on things or ideas or anything like that. And that, that is problematic because then we end up with like today where I didn't really have any ideas. I had a birthday recently, so I was going to complain about birthdays. Uh, but 
it's all stuff you've heard before. So I kind of was torn on whether it was doing it or not. So I had a birthday last week. The interesting part was I got one card, and I hate cards because you've spent – I mean, cards are expensive. It's like 2 $3 minimum, probably 5 or 6 for a piece of paper with a dumb joke on it um, that gets thrown away almost immediately. You might go like, oh, you're not supposed to throw it away. You're supposed to keep it. I don't – never understood people who keep things like that because you don't ever look at it again. If you're going to look at it again, yes, you should keep it. Then it has some value. A card with a lame joke that says happy birthday on the inside and then signed by some people. I'll look at it once. I do appreciate the idea, but I would actually rather you don't spend that money or create the waste. And it's actually weirdly the waste it creates that bothers me the most. Uh, A card, the envelope, uh, paying for the stamp, all of that is just waste in my view. It has no value and should not be done. So now you know that uh, you should not give Velocipeter from Velocipodcast or uh, Chunk McBeefchest from Chunk McBeefchest, the podcast, C. McBee. You should not give him a card. I do not want a card. I think you've wasted your money. There's a lot of things like that, though, in in life. Uh, Diamonds. (laughs) Hold no real value, and yet we've been taught by society we must do them. There's a couple of sort of societal issues that I've been stuck on recently. Uh, I've had friends get married, and I've said, do not spend as much money as I did on a diamond. I got caught in the idea of this is a demonstration of how much you sort of want this to happen. I want to marry you. I want to be with you forever. Uh, I should spend a lot of money on a physical object to demonstrate that. That is a huge mistake. Take the same amount of money, uh, put it into buying a car or your first house or an apartment or something like that, uh, put it in a savings account if for the idea that you'll eventually have kids and they'll need money. All far, far more valuable investments than a, a diamond, which has no resale value at all. Uh, my only hope is that the diamond I bought for my wife, we will give to my son or daughter that they can use and they don't have to spend any money at all. And that's actually the reason. I don't want them to spend the money that they could save or put into something else. If you took that initial money you put into a diamond and invested it properly. Like I'm not saying like a crypto thing like I had done before. If you put that into an actual investment of some sort with a guaranteed sort of return, 20 years later, that's going to be a huge chunk of money. So diamonds bother me. I don't, I think that they were manufactured as an idea by companies. One of the other ideas that was manufactured by companies, by banks, is actually like living in a house. Uh, Apparently, this is sort of mortgage mortgages are really what they were selling you. So banks needed a product that they could sell that would last over multiple years. So we're talking about a mortgage. A mortgage is 20, 30, 40 years of your life. You're paying X amount of dollars to the bank every month or every year. Mine's monthly. Um, for me, it made sense. Because the actual money I spend on my mortgage is less than I would spend on an apartment. And technically, I would have something at the end of the process. So I would have the house. Houses in Japan do not appreciate in value. They just get worse and worse and worse. But the land it sits on, I had to buy that as well. That land has become more valuable. So there is something there for me in the future. 
cause. So that is good. But that doesn't mean that's right for everybody. So if you're living in a big city and you make X amount of money, buying an apartment, buying a house in a city might not be the best investment. It might be better to rent, cheaper in the long run. And this is something you need to think about. When I first got married, we were talking about buying a car. I actually said to my wife, well, I take the train every day. Uh, I don't drive a car. We should sit down and calculate how much money we would spend on a car, on maintenance and insurance and uh, gas and whatnot, and measure that out to how often you actually drive and whether or not it would be cheaper to buy, uh, to get a taxi or rent a car if we were going to say, like, go on a trip. And that kind of math, people don't think about doing that first because it seems unnatural. Well, you don't just take a taxi everywhere, but if you don't go that many places, taking a taxi might be cheaper. So if taking a taxi is cheaper and you save money, why would you buy a car? Uh, the other thing that's bothered me, it's not the sort of the same, it, it has to do with waste though. And it's the idea that we as people are responsible for recycling. So this was explained to me by someone else, by actually a video on the internet. And it just, it actually hit me that, yeah, this is true. I've been lied to because I bought into it. I was really big on recycling. Um, I'd learned about aspirational recycling, which is what we do most of the time, which means most of the things we try to recycle do not get recycled. And that's actually a, a tough reality because, you know, you're separating stuff, you're washing stuff, you're doing everything right, and it still just goes to a landfill somewhere, which is very disappointing. But Coca-Cola is the, the best example because Coca-Cola produces more plastic bottles than any other company in the world. And anywhere you go in the country, I think every country in the world has a Coca-Cola is available. Uh, they've done some cool things. They put malaria medication on the inside cap of Coke, uh, sealed, so it didn't mix with the Coke. Because their distribution was so thorough that it could get to places in the world that other people couldn't. So they've done some good things. I'm not going to like totally be disdainful of Coke, although it is a major corporation. And the only reason they did that was probably for the good press, not because it was humanitarian. But Coca-Cola produces more plastic bottles than any other company in the world. And they have been part of the promoting the idea that it's the end consumer that should be responsible for recycling, not Coca-Cola, the corporation. So you compare this to a car company. Car companies are held to standards for carbon emissions. So your cars, if they emit too much carbon, you get a penalty, or you can't sell your cars anymore. Uh, if they, they have to be held to a standard. They can only produce so much within a certain year. They, your engines have to be so efficient as they only produce so much carbon naturally, as, like through daily usage. And there are, there are penalties and problems if your cars produce more. That's why all the cars are moving towards electric, electricity. Sorry, just lost all my words for a second. Uh, and that is because governments are imposing rules and restrictions and people as a society are saying we should have cleaner cars. The completely opposite idea, though, so the consumer is still responsible, like I have to choose a, a gas engine or a hybrid car or a fully electric one, and, um, but the choices are clearly shifting because people have those choices in place. When it comes to plastic bottles, people think, ah, oh, I'll wash it out and I'll throw it in the recycling bin and it'll get recycled and I've been a good person. 
and that's my responsibility. Coca-Cola, the company, is being held to zero responsibility for producing bottles with less plastic in them or producing bottles that are more easily recyclable or switching materials to something that is better for the environment. Or this would be my actual idea is force Coca-Cola to open or create recycling plants where they take in their own bottles and have to recycle them. And if they don't do that, then you don't get to produce Coca-Cola anymore. And then like an addict like me wouldn't get his Coke, but at the same time, it would be more of a punishment to Coca-Cola. But somehow they've finagled the whole world. They've, they've thrown one over the whole world to believe that it isn't their responsibility to recycle the plastic bottles that they produce. It is the end user who buys them. I think the end user should be fairly responsible and put them in recycling bins. But a company like Coca-Cola, they should be doing the recycling. Uh, and I think very quickly you would find they stop using plastic bottles because I know that plastic bottles actually are very difficult to recycle. They probably go back to cans. Aluminum cans can be recycled hundreds and hundreds of times before they lose enough integrity that they can't be really, really recycled anymore. But if that's the case, then we should be forcing Coca-Cola Corporation into actually doing that. So maybe I've had my birthday and I'm unhappy uh, I've been trying to get my life back together and I've really wanted to get the podcast back in order. I do another one that doesn't relate to anything. So there's Ninja News Japan, C. McBee, Velocity Podcast. They're all kind of a, the same family of podcasts. I do one more called Sounds Great English that is just for English students. Uh, so basically, if you're listening to this, you're probably not interested in that. Uh, I haven't even started that back yet and it's been like three, four months. And so you can see, that I realized it took me years to organize my time and myself to a point where I could do two podcasts a week, every week successfully. Even then there were still problems, but it was usually like a week or two weeks off. Uh, I've been able to get them back, but again, uh, my thought is, are they the same quality? Are they good enough? I, I am one of those people who is self-critical to the point where nothing is really good enough. Everything I want to do, I want to redo. I've had the idea of redoing the first 100 episodes of Velocity Podcast again uh, and throwing those up somewhere uh, because all those ideas are good. But like I remember my very first two or three podcasts, they were all under five minutes. I was just trying out this as a format, as an experiment. It's grown a lot since then. So I feel like I could do all those topics better now. Those, topic, those 100, first 100 podcasts are not available on the internet. So I feel like I wouldn't be punishing that many people. There's only a very small group of people who've been uh, with Velocity Podcast from the beginning who are either still listening or would actually remember those first podcasts. But now that I've kind of learned how to do it, I've expanded the formats, I now stream on Twitch and then take that audio and put that on the internet so you can now get it on Twitch. Uh, I should promote that more often, twitch.tv slash chunkmcbeefchest. Uh, I've kind of gone with a, a little bit of rebranding for all of the stuff since I, I um, bought the, the Chunk McBeef Chest domain name. I wanted to make a podcast that was easier to remember the name, so C McBee was very easy. So now, I, and then you can go to YouTube if you go to if you search for Velosa Podcast. Uh, all the Twitch videos I edit those down into the podcast, and they get posted there. And now you get that plus the audio. Now, the audio format is still my primary thing, so I don't do a lot of visual stuff. The visual aspect of YouTube and Twitch is probably not that exciting, except if you join the Twitch stream, like if you had done that today, 
you've gotten 15 to 20 minutes of Dave and Dave uh, shenanigans before I even was able to sit down and get started. Honestly, probably the bit that people like the most. If you, if you were on Twitch, you might switch over or stop after the Dave content is stopped and I started talking because it is just me sitting in a chair talking. But since I'm doing things that anger me and bother me, I, I think this might be a sign of getting older. I'll start shouting people to get off my driveway. I don't have a lawn, so it's going to have to be get off my driveway. Uh, that's clearly coming. Or maybe I'm just getting more critical of the world at large because I would like it to be better. And I would like it to be better for my kids and whatnot. Yes, I've had a birthday. I think if you listen to the things I've said and you take them into consideration and you're young, you, you could find some ways to save yourself a lot of money. And I would really like you to do that because having that money is not something people think about. If you're in your 20s, you should take a percentage of your paycheck. It doesn't have to be large. And invest it. I mean, mutual funds, 10-year mutual funds. Uh, you do sort of this, you go to a financial advisor and you don't invest in a stock. You invest in the American stocks. You invest in the Asian or European stocks. Usually when one stock goes down, another one goes up. So if you technically invest in them all, you get a slow uptick across the board. That is your fatherly advice from a very old man now who sits here stroking his dog like a Bond villain. As it is my birthday week, uh, I thought it was appropriate that I spend another, or at least part of another episode, shitting on Steven Seagal. Because this has become almost a hobby within a hobby, as I crap on Steven Seagal regularly throughout my life. And it is horrendous, because it does mean I am watching his movies and, and following his career and, and whatnot, if you could call it that. So something I've never talked about when we talk about Steven Seagal. Actually, let's get to the other point first. This, my first experience with this in a movie was a Chow Yun-Fat film. Now, it's a film series called God of Gamblers. Chow Yun-Fat, uh, he does Chinese movies. He was in The Killer. He's in a bunch of really, really good movies uh, with uh, John Woo who directs these excellent films. They're old now, so the parts of it don't hold up, but you can see where other movies got their influences from if you watch this movie, which is pretty cool. God of Gamblers was a really good movie, and then they did two or three, and they always had Chow Yun-Fat as the star. And then we got into number four or five, and it was like a whole different... Like, the director wasn't there anymore. Everyone had swapped out, but it still said Chow Yun-Fat on the box. So I was like, if it's a Chow Yun-Fat movie, it's probably okay. So I rented the movie. Now, this was the 80s, 90s, which meant I was actually still going to a physical video store. Um, You couldn't, like, check stuff on the internet first. You had to just go. uh, This was... If you went to the martial arts section of a a movie store in the 80s, you would see... Bruce Lee, L-I. Bruce Lee, I guess Bruce Le, L-E, not L-E-E. You would see Bryce Lee. You would see a bunch of very similarly named Bruce Lee movies. I rented a bunch of them because they're still okay. But you could see every now and then they got someone, maybe that was his real name and he wasn't a martial artist. And then you could see the ones where it's a martial artist and they just changed his name. Uh, those were my first experiences with someone tricking me or trying to trick me into watching a movie I didn't want to watch. 
uh, because I thought the hero was a different person or something like that. So Chow Yun-Fat, I think it was God of Gamblers 4 or 5, is not actually in it. So they do the whole movie. Now, on the box, it's Chow Yun-Fat's face with Chow Yun-Fat across the title as the star, but he is not in the movie at all. And the bit, this was the first time I was angry about it. Usually I think it's funny. This is the first time I was angry about it because there's a scene where the main, the new gods of gamblers, the new characters, are standing around. And then it cuts to Chow Yun-Fat getting out of a car and waving to them and then walking away, which was clearly cut from a different film and inserted into this one. So technically Chow Yun-Fat is in it, but he is absolutely not the star. And they're all like, woo, it's the real god of gamblers. He's with us now, and he, he waved at us, so we're all friends, so I must be the god of gamblers too. And uh, it felt so cheap and so crap that I was offended by how lame they or how dumb they must think I am to fall for this. But I had rented the movie, so they got their whatever two cents out of me. Which I didn't mind, because the movies were okay. Uh, then it started happening with Jackie Chan films. So Jackie Chan, his face would be on the cover, his name would be on the box, and then he would be in the movie. He would maybe like walk through and say hello, or he would like jump over a car, and that was it. Or he was like the police chief, and he would sit at a desk. And what does this have to do with Steven Seagal? Well, a friend of mine pointed me towards a movie. Now, I, we were making fun of Steven Seagal together. And he, I said, you know, I would actually like to see a Steven Seagal science fiction film. And there aren't any because science fiction takes a certain amount of creativity or, or maybe an understanding of science fiction, which he does not have. So he's only, I think he's only ever done action-oriented films. But then I saw a cover and it was uh, Against the Dark, and you can see it's horror-ish. It has Steven Seagal with a samurai sword on the cover. It says Steven Seagal in Japanese on the cover. Uh, and then in the background are two scary faces uh, with vampires. And then there's sort of some people, a crowd in the background. What are they doing? Most of them just seem to be running around. And I thought, oh, you know, I'd actually like to see that movie. I figure it's online, like YouTube or something. So I went looking, and it wasn't. It was actually really hard to find. And then my friend found it. I believe it was on Amazon or one of the Amazon resellers. Now, if I remember correctly, the price was 36 yen. Now, that might not be 100% accurate, but I know it was less than 50 yen for the movie. Now, you know that a CD... Or a DVD in this case, not a CD. I was thinking about CDs this morning when I was talking about um, obsolete technology. Still functional, not obsolete, but yeah, I don't see CDs anymore. The, it comes in a plastic box. So there's the DVD itself and the plastic box it comes in. That itself has to cost more than 36 yen. So the content of the film itself, I don't believe you would be paying for at all. You are only paying for the plastic that the DVD is made of and the box that it's being sent in. I had to have it delivered to my house, though. And the cost of the delivery, I believe, if it was 120 yen. So I was paying at least three or four times more than the actual DVD itself just to have it shipped to me, to have someone carry it to my house. That felt fair. 
if I'm going to pay you to carry garbage, like a bag of poop from point A to point B, the money you get paid should be significantly more than the value of the actual poop. Now, how much do you put on poop? Well, poop, you know, it's inherent components means that it's worth something. Like you break down the human body into its component parts. There's a certain amount of iron or something in there. That'd be worth, you know, 50 cents. Someone, I, you've seen it on the internet. If you, if you go like, how much is a human body worth uh, by elements? It's like a couple hundred bucks. You know, there's something there. So your poop has stuff in it. So that stuff has inherent value. Uh, but you should be getting paid a significantly larger sum of money to move that poop from point A to point B. So I did not feel bad about paying more for the, the shipping. Then the movie arrived and I watched it and I realized this is clearly filmed in two parts. So this would be one of those films where Steven Seagal probably agreed to a single day of shooting. So if I can't get this done in one day, I'm not doing it at all. And that's, that's really important because what you have is a movie and the movie stars other characters who are not mentioned on the cover of the DVD. The cover of the DVD only mentions Steven Seagal. Uh, there's no English on it, so I can't read you like the description of the movie. Uh, but it's basically about a group of survivors trying to get out of this hospital. This hospital has one of the weirdest, scariest logos. Like, you know, Umbrella Corporation seems a little evil with the, the red and black umbrella. This one took it to like an extreme where... Like, why you would choose that as the logo for your hospital makes no sense at all. That was actually a weird sticking point for me because they paid for the graphic. So they showed the graphic about seven or eight times in the movie. And uh, I wasn't having it. I'm like, there's no way a real hospital would have a graphic that evil. So there is an underlying implication that the outbreak of, and they say vampires in the film, uh, but the vampires are clearly zombies. They chase after people. They don't have a budget for special effects. So, I mean, once you get some blood on your face, that's pretty much the end of the special effects budget. So they're not flying. They're not jumping around. They're not even, like, climbing on the ceiling. They couldn't, you know, turn the camera upside down and make the hallway look like it was upside down. So someone's climbing on the ceiling. It's one of those cases that I get very annoyed by because it's, it's a case of the people planning out this movie. Because you, you have to have some planning before you make any movie. It doesn't matter how cheap it is. And they're like, we're going to have everyone be vampires, but we can't do any vampire stuff other than have sharp teeth. Uh, and I'm betting those sharp teeth that the, the characters had were shared. I mean, I bet they were cleaned, but I'm pretty sure they were shared amongst the actors, which is a, a scary thought now that we've uh, hit our fourth wave of COVID in Japan. Just had a thought of that could be the source of transmission is shared teeth on an acting set and then all the actors get the real disease and it spreads out into the world from there. I was thinking about zombies as well, which was probably a mistake. Zombies. Um, this was, I think might go into a C McBee episode, but it doesn't really make sense for zombie outbreaks to be as successful as they are because usually the transmission is via bite. So it's usually from saliva uh, it wouldn't be hard to cordon off an area and shut that down if you only had a few zombies. Uh, so once someone like lost their mind in a hospital, locking them in a room wouldn't actually be the hardest thing to do. And then, of course, they always show like mistakes are made. And that's how 
but it seems like it would be a lot easier to contain than they do in the movies. I think that's why most movies don't show you the beginning of the zombie outbreak because it would actually make a lot more sense. They pop five, six zombies or a small crowd and that's actually the end if uh, it's not airborne. But if it's airborne, then everyone gets it right away. I guess you could have the situation where some people are generally immune or carriers or something like that. But again, that would take some thinking. Anyways, in this movie, they kept saying they were vampires, but they do not behave at all like vampires. And they hadn't set up any vampire rules. Rules are a very big thing for me in my horror fiction kind of stuff. Uh, You have to have the rules set out in the movie, and then they have to follow those rules. This movie happens over the course of a single night, so we don't know if these vampires, which are obviously zombies, are affected by sunlight or whatever. But it's an infection, and it turns you into a a zombie vampire, and they eat people. And the opening of the film has uh, a kid, for some reason, running away from a a pack of vampires. Vampire zombies. The zombies. And that also makes no sense. Why is that kid out there by himself? And then the uh, team of vampire hunters, led by Steven Seagal, jumps in and Steven Skull kind of like uh, swings a sword around a bit. He's not trained in this. He swings a sword around a bit uh, and then he has some cool lines um, by his standards. I think he may have written this part himself. We're not here to decide who's right or wrong. We're here to decide who lives and dies. That line is the first line that Steven Seagal says in the movie. It's at the four minute mark. We're not here to decide who's right and wrong. We're here to decide who lives and dies. Is a line that doesn't make any sense. I'm sure he thought it sounded cool when he saw it written on the page. It doesn't actually sound that cool. And he's now gotten to a point where he doesn't speak lines clearly. He mumbles. Uh, There was a couple of movies I talked about previously, and I played one of the parts. And one of the parts was him talking about a gun, and it was barely audible that you couldn't actually hear what he was actually saying about the guns, which was weird. But of course, at this point, Steven Seagal's probably paying for most of the movies he's in, so you can't really tell Steven Seagal to, like, do another take, or, hey, we haven't mic'd you up properly, or could you speak clearly, sir, because you sound insanely stupid right now because no one can understand what you're saying. Uh, so the movie is actually two mini-movies cut together. So the Steven Seagal movie, uh, we were vaguely keeping track of his screen time. And the movie is 133 minutes long. Uh, I'm not counting, like, the end credits and stuff. Steven Seagal, in total, in film, screen time is only about four minutes. So what they've done is set up, hey, Steven, come in for this one day. We'll have you walk through the halls we've set up to actually film the actual film with with the other actors who are going to have like lines and supposedly a story arc and whatnot. We'll have you walk through the same hallways. Uh, Some vague vampire monster people will run up to you. You'll swing your sword around. They'll fall down. We got a couple fake heads. We'll roll those across the floor. We might splatter some blood. Uh, Your amazing zombie hunting team, a couple of them are going to die namelessly. You'll show some emotion when that happens. He doesn't. So a couple of the characters, they're supposed to be like a team working together and I assume care about each other. I also assume they've been doing this together for a long time. So, you know, there should be some emotion when one of them dies. Basically, one of them dies, he goes, huh, turns around and walks away. 
I mean, that's the action. That's it. There's no sort of main idea or value to the the death of a character. He's just like, oh well, we're down one. Let's keep going. He's supposed to be saving the survivors who are in this hospital. Uh, there's regular intervals where they talk to a um, like military base that's off site, uh, and they're talking about like you got to get them out soon. I forget why. I think they're going to blow up the building or something. I actually forget. Steven Seagal basically doesn't interact with any of the actual main characters of the film because he's not the main character of the film, just like Chow Yun-Fat was, just like Jackie Chan was, uh, wasn't. He's not really the main character. He's just in there for the name recognition. At no point does Steven Seagal in this movie run. And that's something I actually learned from comparing Star Wars to the, new, the reboot of Star Trek. So the prequels of Star Wars, basically no one runs. Uh, they walk slowly and they talk about how intense the situation is. That's not demonstrating how intense the situation is. In the reboot of Star Trek, there is barely a scene on the ship where they are not running from point A to point B. And that is to show you that things are uh, happening quickly. I mean, they're not. It's, I have to get to the, the transporter and press a, a touch panel to save someone from being not transported properly. But if they just walk to that, it doesn't seem particularly tense. He runs as fast as he can, and he fiddles with some buttons that don't mean anything, and then everyone's surprisingly celebratory because it worked. Uh, if you took a moment and think, of course it's going to work. You can't lose your main character in the first half of the film. But there you go. Running's important in an action film to create a tone and tension. Steven Seagal does not run. Now, there's a video online you can go, it's Steven Seagal's awkward run. He does have a weird run. And it's something I actually have also said about Jim Kata, which I mentioned in Ninja New Japan earlier this week, so maybe that's on my mind as well. The gymnast in that, who was supposed to be a martial arts hero, he's got a weird run too. But, uh, yeah, what you have is a full movie, uh, poorly acted, of survivors trying to get through the night to get to a place to not die. Uh, there's a little subplot of one of the vampires uh, sort of experimenting, trying to make his daughter vampire more powerful. Uh, it's sort of the next evolution. I almost forget because it's so quick and pointless because they just kill that guy and then they move on. Uh, characters get picked off one by one. None of it's surprising. You lose track of who's who because they have to flip back and forth between scenes. This is one of those science fiction things that bugs me where they have like a hallway and a couple rooms and they just keep going into the rooms from slightly different angles with different uh, detrius in it and it's supposed to be a different room. I mean, I get it. You don't have a lot of money to make your movie. You have a single soundstage. You have maybe a week to, to film it and then a couple weeks to edit it together. You got Steven Seagal for one day, so we're going to film all his in that one day. Uh, and then we have to cut it together like it makes sense. Uh, we have to have him interact with the main character, but they don't have time to be in the same room together. So that gives you a summary of where Steven Seagal's uh, career is and why it's so bad. The loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Stitcher, 
podcast or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast, sexy out homies. All right, we got to get going now.